This week on the podcast, a little nonprofit news for the week of July 19th here with us. Nick is going to be helping us. Carisha has off. So, Nick, why don't we jump right into it? Sure, I can get us started. Our first story comes from Minnesota, where between April of 2020 and March of 2021, 200 nonprofits closed. Um, according to internal state data, 186 nonprofits completely ceased their operations and filed to disband their organization. Um, and hundreds of other nonprofits are estimated to have downsized their operations dramatically to essentially zero. Um, now, considering the, the millions of incorporated uh, nonprofit organizations in the country, this seems like small numbers, but this is indicative of a larger trend. Um, we saw the downsizing of these organizations to the outright closure of them. Um, and while this data only reflects nonprofits within Minnesota, Candid estimates that nearly one third of nonprofits are in danger of closing within the next two years nationally, based on their research. Um, coupled with record giving in 2020, this broad trend where we see lots of smaller nonprofits in trouble seems to me that this is indicative of a consolidation of giving and funding, where we can have a year with record giving, but also a year of record closings of nonprofits. So definitely something to keep an eye on. And George, maybe you have a different interpretation of this, but that's kind of the takeaway that I took from this research. Yeah, when we see this type of reporting from local regional areas, we don't take it in isolation. I do think that it's indicative of a larger trend, a consolidation uh, of giving, not a decrease in giving. And this is important because, you know, we reported before that overall giving for 2020 was in fact up. However, the consolidation around COVID, COVID adjacent causes, consolidation around racial equity, Black Lives Matter have consolidated. And you see some organizations shifting uh, their focus in that way so that they can, um, you know, have that relevant appeal. I think also just taking a closer look uh, at this, again, sample size 200 or 186 in this case, uh, but you're looking at, in this case, 23 churches, uh, you know, six related youth sports groups, two United Ways, um, 17 involving uh, health-related organizations including epilepsy and cystic fibrosis, um, six involving the arts. So you see a lot of um, a lot of arts getting hit hard by this. And so I think there's still uh, sort of post-pandemic fallout still to come, even though overall giving is up. And a lot of these are small organizations that were already somewhat cash strapped. And it just is like that final, um, that final obstacle and challenge uh, that just means you can't operate in the way that you used to in the previous climate. Absolutely. We'll definitely keep an eye on this one and see if we have more, more data points that we can apply mm -hmm. to our interpretation of this trend. But I'll take us right to our next story. And this one is a fun one. So MBA superstar legend, Steph Curry has announced that he's partnering with the nonprofit venture 920 to help bridge the racial wealth gap. 
in America. Um, so Steph Curry has partnered with this organization um, that really hones in on what it sees as systemic and substantial divides in the amount of wealth that Americans have that fall along racial lines. This new venture organization um, is being incubated by the Robin Hood Foundation um, in partnership with sponsors like Goldman Sachs and Starbucks. And it takes its name from the actual number that represents the disparity of wealth in America, particularly the statistic that white Americans hold approximately 90% more wealth than black Americans. And with additional support from the ACLU and other prominent, prominent civil rights figures involved in this project, I think this is a really exciting um, economic and philanthropic project that addresses an issue that's at the heart of not only American society, but American economics. Um, research done by academics has shown that closing the racial wealth gap will actually generate or increase America's GDP by 1.5 trillion over the next decade. Um, so really an exciting venture, and I'm excited to see where this project goes. Yeah, certainly a big name to, to pull on board, but also, you know, in, in the company of some giants like American Express, uh, for instance. And it's interesting looking at research uh, that Duke University put out there that the wealth gap between Black and white Americans uh, exited about eleven trillion to thirteen trillion dollars, uh, which is just you know phenomenally large. And interesting to see what type of initiatives they come up with, because you know wealth inequality exists uh, across many different stratification of people, but certainly around uh, racial lines as well. So uh, interested to see what they now do with this sort of celebrity power uh, and corporate power they seem to be pulling on board. Absolutely. All right. Should we go into some of the summary articles? Let's do it. I can read our first headline. And our first headline is that with donations declining, LA, Los Angeles nonprofits face post-pandemic challenges. Now, this was an interesting article because it's a topic I'm particularly interested in. And that's how nonprofits scale or aren't able to scale based on dramatic changes in in funding. Um, so this article talks about how as COVID you know, became a reality across America, a lot of nonprofits, in this case, an organization highlighted in Los Angeles called the People Concern, which serves residents experiencing homelessness, saw a surge in funding and donations and was able to scale to do the work. But as it turns out, that incredible generosity and giving was a one-time thing. They are seeing decreased numbers this year. So it raises almost existential questions about nonprofits that saw a surge in cash and capacity for one year, but have very limited uh, predictive ability to understand how their funding will change going forward. And that unpredictability puts nonprofits in, in kind of a tough place. Add on top of that, the one-time, I repeat, PPP loans that, you know, did in fact go to many nonprofits. And in this case, this one example they're talking about, you know, the land trust that um, is now struggling received $270,000, you know, frankly, kind of out of the sky, which is amazing. Obviously, it was earmarked for uh, employment and retention of employees, but that's a lot of money to hit your bottom line. And then suddenly, 
not exist the following year. And there are many organizations that got this sort of one-time bump and now maybe have a larger budget and now maybe have increased responsibilities of employees or overhead because they had to scale up to deploy those funds. And now the following year, look, the sentiment is just not where it was last year. And this is not unique to uh, a nonprofit plight in financial planning in general. That's frequent that, you know, it's sort of when it rains, it pours, but then the drought comes. And so how do you manage these funds? Because you have to spend them in the moment, you have to deploy them. And then suddenly you're left on this treadmill uh, that's now going so much faster because of your expense rate. Um, my heart goes out to a lot of organizations that did incredible work, incredible work um, last year associated, associated with the pandemic uh, and, and supporting there. And now probably still have similar uh, similar needs in the local communities, but are saying like, well, wait a minute, it doesn't look like the PPP is coming, which was magic money. And it looks like general giving may be flowing in different patterns. Uh, so this is just sort of picking up on that thread and, um, you know, hearing the, hearing the folks, if you're listening, that if you are struggling, you're not alone. And on um, that type of planning, um, it's, uh, it's difficult. For sure. Uh, recommend reading this article. A lot of interesting kind of uh, insights and takeaways that I took from it. Our next headline is that Wes Moore, author and former nonprofit executive, has launched a campaign for the got to be governor of Maryland. Um, this is exciting news and one that we were probably sleeping on a little too long, um, but <laughs> kind of cool to see. <laughs> we missed it. <laughs> we missed it. A little disappointed, but we're, we're getting it in there now. Um, and Westmore, of course, was the president and CEO of the Robin Hood Foundation, which we just talked about, um, and has announced a bid for governor. And I think this is exciting. Um, I'm always for nonprofit executives or or any nonprofit professional entering the public policy um, and political arena because I think that the experience they have is one that is grounded in human interaction. They understand the the deep, substantial, and systemic needs of America's most vulnerable communities. They understand the importance of how how vital nonprofits are to um, our American society and economy. So excited to see um, this candidacy announced. I have no political predictions, but um, exciting nonetheless. Yeah, uh, just an amazing figure, obviously, aside from being the, you know, the head of Robin Hood there, uh, also wrote a book uh, called The Other Westmore, which followed the disparate lives of himself and another uh, gentleman who had the same name from Baltimore, just like he was, and uh, ultimately ended up in prison, uh, as opposed to you know where where Westmore's uh, life has taken him. And it's just an incredible sort of narrative about these small small points. And um, you know you know best of luck for that. And we like seeing nonprofit leaders step into the civic space as well because they have perspective that for profits for profit leaders don't have and are much more intimate with the way effectively governments have to deploy capital locally to actually get things done. And that tri-sector relationship is really well represented um, with perspective, I'd say, when nonprofit leaders do it. So if you were ever thinking about it, give it a go. Run for alderman, run for council, run for these great positions in government and share that wisdom that the sector has. 
Absolutely. Um, I was privileged enough to have met Westmore after after reading his really? book. Um, and yeah, at, at school and um, he gave a really down to earth conversation and um, really showed how much he genuinely cares about um, the community that, that he comes from and communities that are often the most vulnerable, in this particular case, the incarcerated community. Um, so really uh, a great experience. So interesting to, to keep an eye on. Our next headline is that the largest solar project for a nonprofit organization in West Virginia um, has neared completion. Um, so this story is about a nonprofit that uh, was making the switch to solar and uh, the installation of 376 panels um, is the culmination of many years of collaboration between um, multiple stakeholders, um, but um, this nonprofit has won the title of most solar sustainable uh, organization in West Virginia. And um, I think the article highlights the need for sustainability, um, but also sheds a light on um, organizations in, in Appalachia, which is, you know, a place that often gets overlooked when we talk about, um, you know, all sorts of, you know, social safety net programs and, and organizations. So just a cool little shout out and um, great to see in a genuine uh, investment in sustainability. The nuance here that's pretty interesting to me is how they packaged it. And this is a, a great takeaway in that they're not right, an environmental organization. However, what they did do was look out for funding here because this is a project that cost about $184,000 generating 122 kilowatt uh, kilowatt hours of power, um, 150,000, I'm sorry, kilowatt hours in annual production. So just a, a massive amount of energy, but also uh, of capital expense. So where did they go? They actually reached out to Alex Honnold, who is the world famous rock climber. He was the El Capitan guy who did that free solo. It's just terrifying, you know, makes your hair stand on edge. Um, amazing. But apparently he has um, set up a, a foundation for installing solar um, and developing and supporting regions. And so they just sort of made the case that um, they're in the region. They have a worthy you know, target, especially with uh, trying to target coal transition. He loved the project, boom, and they got a $100,000 grant. So thinking about different ways of, of pulling in uh, outside assets and, you know, certainly on the, in the, the green investment that is certainly coming in the country, where if you've got uh, an installation, if you've got a building, if you've got land, uh, there may be an opportunity to look for that type of funding and grant uh, in a way that would, you know, obviously decrease your energy expenses, but um, open up a new source of funding. Absolutely. A lot of cool pieces coming together in this one. Our last headline is that journalists, activists, and others are among firms' spyware targets, according to nonprofits. Um, so we won't go too deep into this, but um, some journalism coming out from a Paris-based journalism nonprofit called Forbidden Stories, in conjunction with Amnesty International, released a report that says that an Israeli intelligence cyber spying firm called NSO Group um, had installed tracking software on 
hundreds of journalists, politicians, and at least 85 human rights activists across the world. Um, you know, for most nonprofits in, in the U.S., they're probably not going to be, you know, specifically targeted here. But the, the takeaway is that um, cybersecurity is more important than ever. And, you know, some of the most influential change makers in the world had, uh, you know, software on their devices that was spying on them. And, uh, you know, international intelligence, private intelligence is grossly underregulated and something needs to be done about it. But in, in the meantime, we all need to be super careful, adhere to, you know, the utmost cybersecurity best practices to factor authenticate everything. Um, and, and really, and if you run a team or, or have employees practice um, cybersecurity best practices and, and do those trainings about how to identify phishing emails or malicious messages, any of that, it's really, really important. Um, and yeah, the other takeaway here is two nonprofits did the work, Amnesty and um, this Paris based organization. So doing great work. This is why civil society matters. Um, so a really interesting story. Yeah, not much to add there other than it's a very difficult time to be a journalist for many reasons. All right, Nick, what do we have on the feel good stories? I feel like I need a feel good story. What do you got? Sure, George. Um, I got a feel-good story for you. Um, so this one is maybe the opposite of a feel-good story, at least interesting. But it's about how scientists are tracking the loneliest whale in the world. So it turns out that um, this whale has a high-pitched voice. It lives in the no uh, North Pacific. And the U.S. military accidentally picked up the frequency of this whale's pitches and calls during the Cold War. And now researchers are making a documentary of this whale nicknamed the Jezebel Monster um, that has unfortunately been stranded and calling out for other whales. Um, so best of luck to this whale. I got to talk about the whales. Um, we we love and, and support our whales, um, but kind of a wild story coming out of the hill. Yeah, um, it's an interesting point, though, to to bring a narrative framing to, you know, a stranded whale and, and think about that framing for your own organization, how it like kind of hooked you with this title, the loneliest whale in the world. Like, I got to be honest, I'm not quite sure what data they have to back this up. Uh, however, when you are able to bring the narrative and almost anthropomorphize uh, uh, animals, nature, your surrounding uh, stories are brought to life sometimes, bring in attention, bring in new supporters, different perspectives. So is there a loneliest thing in the, the worlds that you support? Um, and then consider how you can tell that story. And hopefully bring in more attention, more donors and support for your organization. Nick, thank you as always. And nonprofitnewsfeed.com, nonprofitnewsfeed.com, where you can get a weekly summary with links, quick rundown of what's going on. News from the best sector. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us.
Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 